Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Mark Batterson. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. When I was a kid, and this will reveal how old I am, I got a Viewmaster as a birthday gift. This was cutting edge technology 40 years ago. This was our iPhone. Look into it with both eyes and it's stereoscopic. It's two photographs of the same image and wouldn't you know it, it's like the superheroes cartoon that I got. It's two photographs of the same object taken at slightly different angles. And this is key because it's those different angles that add a third dimension and give depth perception. This, my friends, is what we did for fun 40 years ago. Uh, Anybody old enough to remember? uh, You know what? Actually, um, Matt Johnson, you're a big kid. Pastor Joel, I, I, got a, I got an extra view master. I'm gonna give it to Matt Johnson. Um, it's right there. It's a gift from me to you. Don't tell me I, I never got you anything. There you go. All right. Well, welcome to National Community Church. We are in a series called Rule of Life. We talked about joy, freedom, and faith. This weekend, we talk about rule of wisdom. Can I suggest that wisdom is a 1970s viewmaster. It's looking at life, at circumstances, at issues, at people, at God from more than one angle. Here's the big idea up front. True wisdom has two sides. Job 11:6. Truth is found in the tension of opposites. So let me have a little bit of fun. If you're in person, you should have gotten a pair of 3D glasses that look like this. Uh, And if you're online, you're gonna have to use your imagination. Now, I want you to grab those glasses. Don't put them on yet. Don't put them on just yet. Uh, We live at the intersection of two theologies, two realities. You've heard this 100 times, right? The faithfulness of God is pursuing us from the past. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And the way that we say that at NCC is, so far, so God. And then the sovereignty of God is setting us up for the future. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared for you in advance. And the way that we say that is the best is yet to come. We live at the intersection of these two theologies, these two realities. Now, I want you to check out this image and you can put on those glasses. It, uh, wow, wow. It looks like a 1950s movie theater in here. (laughs) I just can't resist. Okay, now that I got that, I want you to close your left eye. Close that left eye. Can you see it? Can you see it? So far, so God. And then I want you to close that other eye, close that right eye, and you, you might see... The best is yet to come. I mean, can I just get an audible reaction to this? Like a, 
Ha, oh, amazing, right, right? Um, now you can keep those on, take them off. It really is up to you the rest of the message. But they are yours to keep. And here's the point. If you only look through one eye, are you ready for this? You only see one dimension of who God is. And we settle for a one-dimensional understanding of so many complex realities and theologies and ideologies. And I would suggest that wisdom turns the kaleidoscope. Now, I have a mentor who says, what's happening is not what's going on. Wisdom sees beyond what's happening. Wisdom is supernatural hindsight, insight, foresight. Wisdom is prophetic imagination. Walter Brueggemann said it this way. The task is reframing so that we can re-experience the social realities that are right in front of us from a different angle. Like, if we had more time, I would actually ask everybody again, because I know what happens, you come to church and there isn't really a name on your seat, but there is, and if there's someone sitting there, they don't know that that was your seat. Like, we are creatures of habit. There's almost part of me that wants you to just get everybody up and switch you to the other side of the room, like, just play mind games with you, but I don't even know if you would hear me if we did that, right? It would be too confusing, and I'm having a little bit of fun, but the idea is simple. Wisdom is looking life, circumstances, people, issues, God, from different angles. Now, I want you to hold that thought. There is more information in a single issue of the New York Times that a person living 500 years ago would have encountered in a lifetime. The average person processes 74 gigabytes of data every single day. Knowledge is doubling every 12 hours. Information overload is an understatement. We are getting smarter and smarter, but I'm not sure we're getting wiser and wiser. And so why don't we talk about wisdom? But let me back up the bus. There were two trees in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember this? The tree of life, the tree of knowledge, the tree of life um, reappears in the book of Revelation and the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations and it just makes me pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We need that tree of life, right? From a shopping mall in Ukraine this week to a tractor trailer in San Antonio. So much pain and suffering. We, we need that healing, that tree of life. I wanna talk about the tree of knowledge. I wanna share a thought, and this is part theory, in part theology. I see the benefits of uh, social media. It can raise awareness, it can catalyze movements. I love getting little glimpses, even if they're filtered, uh, into the lives of other people, family and friends. It kind of keeps us in each other's orbit. Now that said, there's a lot of trolling and baiting and canceling. And again, not against it. I think we have to use it for good and for God. 
But here's my theory, take it or leave it. Social media, I think, is, is like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It may open our eyes, but I'm not convinced that we were designed with the emotional, relational, or spiritual capacity to know everything about everything in real time. I'm not saying we bury our heads in the sand. But if you eat from the tree of knowledge for two hours and 22 minutes every day, which is average, then don't be surprised if you feel overwhelmed by a thousand things. That's all I'm saying. So where am I going with this? Well, in a day and age where everyone is blaming everybody else for almost everything, a culture that is polarized and politicized, that's fight or flight, I'm going to keep saying it. We are called to the radical middle, Gordon Fee. We're called to stand in the gap. It's peacemakers, grace givers, tone setters, truth tellers. And that, my friends, takes wisdom beyond knowledge. Lizard brain isn't going to get us there. So how do we navigate the issues, the emotions, the triggers, the tensions? I mean, it feels like a minefield these days, right? Especially in the D.C. area. Well, I think we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Ephesians 1.17 we need the manifold wisdom of God, Ephesians 3.10. We need miraculous words of wisdom, 1 Corinthians 12.8. And I want you to know, I'm not preaching this morning. I'm praying. Oh, God, give us wisdom. Because there's a situation in your life right now. And you need relational, occupational, circumstantial wisdom. And I'm bold enough to believe that God is going to give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's jump in. James chapter 3, verse number 1. says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, there's a little part of me as the person who happens to be teaching this weekend, <laughs> that wants to kind of skip right, right over this verse. Um, but I'll say this, I, I love teaching God's word, but I've also learned a hard lesson over the last couple of years, and, and here it is. No matter what I say, it's never enough and it's always too much. That's just the reality of where we are. And so, let me pull back the curtain just a, a little bit. I do two things before I preach. Uh, one, I, I actually kneel because I wanna, I wanna teach from a posture of humility. And so at some point during worship, I just pop on a knee because it postures me. And it's a healthy reminder for me that as soon as I'm omniscient, I'll let you know, but I wouldn't hold your breath. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Don't take my word for it. I am not the final authority on doctrine. Scripture is the final authority. And so you need to test what I say against God's word. His word does not return 
void. He is watching over his word to perform it. Jeremiah 12, his word is living and active. Hebrew 4, 12. His word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting in all righteousness. And so uh, I want to say one, one more thing. My goal is not so much to feed us because you can't live on a diet of one sermon per week. My prayer is, God, give, me an, give us an insatiable hunger for your word that, that cannot be fulfilled by a single sermon. Let, let us be people of your word, a hunger for God's word. I will say one, one more thing. I recognize that I will be judged more strictly, and you will be as well, when you're in a position of authority or teaching. And I think you have to take that seriously. It should be sobering. And there's a lot that comes with that. The, the, the more authority you have, the more of a servant you should be. This is what Jesus taught us. The more authority you have, what that means is you need to relinquish more rights and, and exercise less of them. But I, I will say this, and every once in a while, I, I think it's important. I will not compromise my biblical convictions, even if they're at odds with popular opinion. I won't preach what itching ears want to hear. I will do my best to rightly divide God's word. I won't give easy answers when there aren't any. And if I have to choose between PC and BC, political correctness and biblical correctness, I will choose biblical correctness seven days a week and twice on Sunday. Now the next 10 verses are all about the power of words. The power of life and death is in the tongue. So we're switching gears a little bit. But, but if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Words create worlds. James likens the tongue to a tiny rudder that turns the ship. And so if you want to change your life, you have to change your words. James 3, 9 and 10. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This should not be. You can feel James, and I think it's as apropos today as it was then. Our words are descriptive and prescriptive. What I mean by descriptive is Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, words are x-rays. My words tell you what's happening in here. And you know what? That's given me a lot of grace. Whenever I have words coming at me that are cursing, which happens every once in a while, I, I remind myself, oh man, something's happening in that heart. I don't know what it is, but some pain is being projected. And I'll just say this, I'll just make it personally. Uh, my insults usually are a reflection of my insecurities. 
I criticize in others what I don't like about myself. And so I just, I think this is a moment to really take inventory. What, what do our words say about us and how do they represent Jesus? Now they're also prescriptive, right? They are self-fulfilling prophecies. But I wanna ask a question. And the question is pretty simple. Is there something you need to stop saying? There's a concept in Judaism called Lashon Hara. Literal translation is evil tongue. It refers to derogatory or defamatory speech. It's Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. In rabbinic tradition, words were likened to arrows. Once you draw the bow and let it go, you can't get it back. You can delete the tweet, but someone already took a screenshot. There's a story in the Talmud about a woman who visits a rabbi and confesses to spreading falsehoods about another woman. And the rabbi gave her two tasks. He told her to take the feathers of a pillow and put one at every home in the village. She returned to the rabbi and said, what's the second task? And the rabbi said, go and gather up all the feathers from each of the houses. And the woman said, that's impossible. The wind has spread them far and wide. Indeed it has, said the rabbi. To gather those feathers is as impossible as taking back harsh words you have spoken. You would do well to remember that before you speak in the future. You want to talk about spreading some feathers, social media amplifies it. And so let's redeem it. Let's bring grace and goodness and prophetic imagination to the table. Amen? Now, some of the best advice, some of the hardest advice in the book of James, James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Okay, this would solve 87.2% of our problems. This would prevent 91.3% of regrets. This would reconcile 92.9% of relationships. And yes, those statistics are totally made up. But it's true. And when James says be quick to listen, he's not saying formulate that counter argument while the other person is speaking. Because if you want to understand, you have to stand under. You can't just speak over. The genius of Jesus was answering questions with questions. Wisdom is active listening. Can, can I remind us, the only place where we agree about everything is an echo chamber. If you don't understand, all you can do is disagree. But if you understand, now we can agree to disagree. And on that note, the opposite of wisdom is bigotry. Bigotry, by definition, is the unwillingness to allow someone else their opinion. What I find interesting 
is that those who are accusing of bigotry are often exemplifying it by what they're doing. It's my way or the highway, and we cancel people who dare disagree. So let me kind of lean in right here. God gave us this thing called free will. It's not my job to convince someone against their will. In fact, that usually doesn't work real well, yes? Um, and so it's against my religion to impose my religion. Biblical tolerance, Ephesians 4, is giving other people the same measure of free will that God gave you. I hope you're picking up what I'm throwing down because this is how we navigate the, the tensions and the issues and the things. And we have four principles of peacemaking. Ask anything, listen well, disagree freely, and love regardless. And so, I know it's a lot easier just to cancel people. But if you follow Jesus, I just don't think that's an option. Jesus didn't even cancel Judas. He washed his feet and then invited him to the communion table. Jesus didn't even cancel the Roman soldiers who nailed him to a cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now be very careful. If this comes out as self-righteousness, if this expresses itself as holier than thou or even smarter than thou, it's gonna blow up in your face. But there is a way, the Jesus way, a third way. So let's dig in a little bit, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by what they say. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, ah, mm. What translation was I reading? Uh, no, no, no. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom is as wisdom does, and anything less is virtue signaling. Verse 17. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. And if you study the book of James, and I hope you are, then what you've discovered is it's all about pure joy, pure religion, pure wisdom. I think what James is saying here is pure wisdom is pure motives. Just put your hand on your heart for a moment. Oh, God. Oh, God. If, if, you, if you do the right thing for the wrong reasons, it doesn't even count in the kingdom of God. So God, purify these hearts, purify our motives because pure wisdom comes out of pure motives in Jesus' name, amen. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others, full of mercy and good fruit, shows no favoritism, is always sincere, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. When I say wisdom, who comes to mind? 
When I say wisdom, what comes to mind? It's a very different word association, but James gives us this beautiful, these are ingredients of what pure wisdom looks like, right? It's gentle at all times, peace-loving, willing to yield, full of mercy, always sincere. And so let me step back for a minute. Are we doing okay? Are we doing okay? It's a lot to process, but I wanna make a couple observations about wisdom. Okay, one, wisdom is not not complicated, and that's exactly how I wanna say it. It's just not not complicated. Now, you could also say wisdom is messy, doesn't come in nice, neat categories. Stereotypes come in nice, neat categories. Wisdom does not. Proverbs 14, 4. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. Without diapers. Right? By the way, the word diaper spelled backwards is repaid. That's for free. But that isn't the purpose of a stable. You need a strong ox for a large harvest. Now, I'm no farmer, but a big ox makes a big mess. The average cow poops 15 times per day. You knew that was coming, didn't you? I can't resist that. I never will produces 3.5 gallons of urine and 65 pounds of manure every day. Echo chambers are neat and clean. Wisdom is a messy stable. Wisdom recognizes that there is complexity to the reality and theology and ideology and a thousand other things. And so it's why we pray that Franciscan blessing with some regularity around here. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. Wisdom is not not complicated I would say, and this is a tip of the cap to Oliver Wendell Holmes who said it, wisdom is simplicity on the far side of complexity. That's where we wanna get to. Two, wisdom is not not nice. And that's how I wanna say it too. Wisdom is winsome, okay? Uh, Laura and I were in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago Pier 39, and there's a street preacher with a megaphone sending everybody to hell. Your pastor, my blood was boiling. Because I'm thinking, no one wants what you have. They, they don't even want to go where you think you're going. There was so much anger. Like, who are you even talking about? Because I don't think you know the Heavenly Father who is rejoicing over you with singing. I don't think you know. And so um, I just, I got a little worked up because right now it's just really, really hard because there are a lot of people who claim to follow Jesus who are making it so hard for the rest of us 
In the words of John Bon Jovi, <laughs> you give love a bad name. <laughs> but I better up the game here. Gandhi said, <laughs> I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. You Christians are so unlike your Christ. I just, I need to pause there. Oh God, help us to be a reflection of your heart, of your love, of your grace, of your peace, of your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. I think some of us would rather be right than righteous. But people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. No one wins a shouting match. You can win an argument, lose a friend, and you lost a friend. See, in my mind, wisdom doesn't just win the argument. It does, it does. But wisdom wins friends and influences people along the way. It, 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 Francis Schaeffer, the great apologist, didn't stand on a street corner with a megaphone. And I'm not, if you're saying the right thing, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But... Francis Schaeffer, the great apologist, said uh, if he had one hour to share the gospel, he would spend 55 minutes listening and five minutes talking. Slow to speak, right? Slow to get it, quick to listen. Had a conversation with an NCCer this week, said he's shared Jesus with about half a dozen atheists in recent months. And I love the way he said it. He said, I just put Jesus on their radar. How does he do it? Not by talking over other people, but by standing under for understanding. So here's a rule of life, okay? This one, let's, let's make sure we write this one down and we get this one. People listen to people who listen. And we need to be those people. Three, wisdom has a name. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus' wisdom with skin on, the embodiment of all that is good and right and true. No one better at navigating impossible issues, irreconcilable differences, walking that tightrope called truth. 1914, Sam Lloyd published a Cyclopedia of Puzzles. One of those puzzles was the nine-dot test, and we can pop it up on the screen. Uh, three rows of three, and, and what you have to do is... You have to connect the dots with three lines without lifting your pencil. And many people cannot pull this off. And spoiler alert, because I'm going to ruin it for you, but now you'll get it. You can't do it inside the box. And so look at the solution. Wisdom, I would suggest, is connecting the dots by thinking outside the box. Does that make sense? So I think a lot of people are just living in this little box, us versus them. We're so binary right now. The test of a first-rate intelligence, F. Scott Fitzgerald, is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time and retain the ability to function. That's who Jesus was. That's what Jesus did. And so, just a couple of examples and then we're done. In John 9, Jesus encounters a man born blind. 
And the disciples narrow frame the situation. How? Well, they say, who sinned? This man or his parents said he was born blind. It's gotta be A or B, right? Wrong. When we get binary, we create false dichotomies. When we get binary, it's gotta be A or B. We start blaming people. But notice what Jesus does. I think wisdom widens the aperture. It's not A or B, it's C. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. Does that fill your heart with faith today? That maybe, just maybe, in the situations that just seem impossible, one of these two people, maybe God, for his glory, is moving and working. And one of my favorite miracles, by the way, if you're born blind, no synaptic connection between the optic nerve and visual cortex in the brain. This is not an astigmatism. This is synaptogenesis. Because there's a God who connects those dots outside the box. Let me push the envelope a little bit. Um, I, I gotta, oh man, I gotta move fast. Matthew 23, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now the Greek word for hypocrite, theatrical mask worn by actors. The Pharisees were virtue signaling and Jesus calls them on the carpet. And by the way, I want to say this and I want to say it carefully. I I recognize that less people believe in God and less people attend church than 10 or 20 years ago. But I would suggest that we are more religious than we've ever been. And what I mean by that is this. Causes have become our Christ. Issues have become our identity. And the problem with that is this. We should care about causes. Causes that are good and right and true. But when you find your identity, primary identity, outside your relationship with Christ, when the cause becomes Christ, now what you end up with is false identities and false securities and false narratives and false idols. Are you still with me? So this is where... We got to do some identity work, some examination, make sure we find that identity in Christ. So here's what Jesus says. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, forgiveness. And so these religious leaders are majoring in minors. Do you know anybody who might perhaps do this on occasion? The person that looks you in the mirror occasionally? They, like, and then we... And then we minor in majors, and we can't see the forest through the trees. If you said, Pastor Mark, kind of give me in a nutshell, what, what was the issue with the Pharisees? They were so focused on the letter of the law that they totally missed the spirit of the law and missed the miracles because of it. And so wisdom finds common ground, finds common grace, even if that common ground and common grace is the image of God. Because that's our starting point. Okay, I'm gonna share one more, then I'm done. Uh, Matthew, 
No, no, no. Let's go to John chapter 8. Woman caught in the act of adultery. And again, I, I want you to see how Jesus navigated with such wisdom right here. Now, I, I would point out that it takes two to tango. And for some reason, these religious leaders drag the woman into the temple and not the man. And they ask Jesus a trick question. Trolling and baiting are as old as the Pharisees. We throw verbal stones. They threw actual stones. And so they want to stone this woman to death. But what does Jesus do? It's almost like he says, over my dead body. Uh-uh. Nope. He who's without sin casts the first stone. I mean, it's just this genius moment where he shuts them down. Your self-righteousness, take it somewhere else. He does not condemn this woman. But you have to read the end of the story, too. He doesn't condone her sin. Sex, sacred covenant between a husband and a wife. Adultery is a violation of that sacred vow. And so Jesus says, go and sin no more. What you see here is John 1.14, Jesus, full of grace and truth. Grace means I'll love you no matter what. Truth means I'll be honest with you no matter what. I'm not gonna compromise my biblical convictions. I'm not omniscient either. But I'm gonna live according to those convictions, but I will always show compassion. That's who Jesus is. That's the Jesus way. That is the third way. And so, grace without truth is weak sauce. Truth without grace is hot sauce. Grace and truth is a secret sauce. I'm telling you, wisdom is grace and truth. And so I need to quit. I need to, we need to be done. So much more I want to say. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is found in the multitude of counselors. So many things I want to say this morning. But I'm going to pray for us. <laughs> I want to go back to James 1.5, and I'm going to end with this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Can I invite you to stand if you're in person at our campuses uh, online, you posture however you want to right now. But I want to pray over us. Would you be willing to just ask God for the wisdom that you need? I can't give it to you. I'm grateful for spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, mentors, people who have been there and done that. And, but you know what? The best spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers usually end up at a point where you probably need to hear from God about that. <laughs> and so, Lord, right now, I pray a very simple prayer. I pray wisdom beyond knowledge. I pray a spirit of wisdom and revelation to come upon each one of us that as we navigate the complexities, the tensions, that somehow, some way, we would find the heart 
of God in the mind of Christ. Lord, I, I pray the manifold wisdom of God, relational, circumstantial, emotional. And, and God, I pray miraculous words of wisdom that we would elevate above some of what is happening in culture, that we would take ownership of who we are in Christ and that we would employ this rule of wisdom to the glory of God in Jesus' name, amen and amen.